Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. So we've had a interesting week, haven't we? I think we were all expecting a big red wave, right? Isn't that what we heard about for, well, for months, basically, that this big red wave of uh, conservatism was about to be unleashed on our country. Uh, and then uh, we would have all these uh, very conservative people in positions of power, and they would do all kinds of good things for America, and we'd bring America back. And then we had our election, and basically... That big giant red wave turned into nothing. Uh, we may take the House of Representatives. That's uh, it's amazing that there's still an ongoing count going on that we can't on the day of an election uh, tell exactly who won, which I find that amazing. We have unbelievable encrypted technology where you can send money around the world instantaneously, safely. Uh, you can keep track of every single thing, and there's not a way for us to find a better way for us to vote and instantly recognize our, uh, our, our counts. Well, one of the things that I suggest, uh, being part of a technology company that I am, is that uh, we could certainly look to technology to help us if we really wanted to have secure, fast elections. And here's the simplest, easiest way. You go to your local voting place. Or if you're stuck in a house and you can't get out, right? Now, we don't want to, you know, not have somebody not be able to vote. Um, you, could, you could register and using biometrics, you know, reading your fingerprint uh, or, your, uh, or your eye when you look into the, there's a device that it's an optical reader, reads the veins in your eyes. Very, very unique to each human being. Um, I have them here in my office. Uh, today I'm in New York in my office and we have both optical readers and biometrics to get into our office. So you put your finger on a reader and it reads your fingerprint, which is already pre-registered, and it knows it's me, it's Joe Pangaro, and it opens the door. We could do that with voting. We could certainly have people uh, you know, you know, register their biometrics. This way we know only one person voted, uh, and they know where they voted. You can, you can keep track of all this. You show up at the voting booth and in the machine, there's a biometric reader. You walk in, you put your fingerprint on it, boop, boop, it pops up your name. It says, oh, that's Joe Pangaro voting, and then you vote. And that can be instantaneously relayed to a, a central counting area. Now, that's a little simplified, so all my friends out there that are, are really uh, amazing at electronics, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not that a super tech wizard. I happen to work as part of a tech company, uh, and I see all the technology around me. I know that to get in my building, I have to do those two things. So they know it's me getting in here because there's a lot of expensive stuff in here. There's a lot of important things in here. And they want to be sure that it's Joe Pangaro coming through the door. Um, so I think there's ways that we could do it. Now, of course, there's always a problem. Someone who's bedridden, how can they vote? You know, what are they going to do? Well, of course, we could work out the details. My point being, for the people that show up uh, to vote, you could certainly do that. Um you could also, you know, have people who are bedridden put their fingerprint on a uh, on a card and send that in. That that's their vote, and then we know it's them. Now, of course, could people go around a nursing home and roll people's finger? Of course. My point being, there's there's ways that we could do this if we wanted to 
make sure that only one person gets one vote uh, one time in any given election so that it's fair and it's proper. Right? We certainly could do that. So the question that comes to mind with the non-red wave is that we may take the, um, the House of Representatives by a, a very small margin, but you would still be in control, that uh, the Republicans would be in control of the House of Representatives. Now we'll see one more time if our Republican representatives that talk a good game all the time, that they're going to do the right thing, they're going to do the right investigations, they're going to hold people accountable, they're going to make sure things work right. Now we'll see on uh, you know January when they, when they take over, what do they do on day one? Well, there's pomp and circumstance, you're swearing in the new people, ceremonious leaders, parties that they're, good, what are you doing on day two? On day two, when did the subpoenas start going out? You know, if it turns out uh, this week it's all settled and we know, okay, the Republicans have uh, yeah, 224 seats and they control the, the Congress by, by four seats, whatever it is. Even if it's small, they know who the chairmans are going to be. They know who's going to run the committees. Those people should start their work immediately of putting together subpoenas, what they want, who they want to uh, go after, what they want to talk about, uh, setting up the meetings so that when they take office— the day that uh, the Republicans have the gavel and they smack it down, those subpoenas go out and people are starting to be called in. You know, send out all the notices to all these different government agencies and all these people to preserve your records. Do not delete anything uh, and then go after them. Go after them and get them in and start these investigations. Let's find out. You want to have a January 6th hearing? I'm all for it. But you have to investigate the whole thing. You know, where was Nancy Pelosi? How come she didn't have the National Guard in there when Trump asked if she wanted the National Guard? What happened with the police officers? My father-in-law, Ted, says it all the time. Hey, Ted, how are you? Ted's always listening in. He loves America out loud. Ted says it all the time. I saw the cops waving people into the building, right? Um, so let's, let's find that out. Let's see all the video. Let's see all the video and see exactly what happened. If there were officers waving people into the building, why were they doing that? Get those officers subpoenaed and get them on that stand. Why did you wave people in? Who told you to do that? Right? Because I've seen video too, looks just like that, that they're waving people up the steps. Who is that guy? And they know his name, and I wish I could remember his name at the moment. I can't. Who is that guy uh, that was uh, telling, and then we stormed the Capitol, right, right? And all the people were booing him, saying, no, we're not doing that. But he was trying to incite that. How come that guy wasn't called in front of the committee? How come that guy hasn't been arrested? He was inciting a riot that led to these people actually going in there. And those people who went in were wrong. Let's be clear about that. You shouldn't have stormed that building. You know, that's burglary. That's trespass. Uh, that's, that's a bad thing. And then let's have a hearing on uh, the young lady who was shot and killed. You know, uh, let's take a good look at that and see what happened. Was that the proper use of force? You know, certainly I, I'm, a, I'm an investigator my whole life. And I know that, you know, you don't shoot an unarmed person. Uh, unless they're pre presenting a life-threatening danger to you. Uh, even if someone's breaking into your home, right? If, if some places, you, you know, unless they have a weapon, you got, you're supposed to retreat to your bedroom. Well, what went on here? Let's get some answers, right? This is what our Republicans tell us. When we take over, we're going to get the answers. Well, let's see what happens on day two. Let's see if they actually do it. So the question that comes to mind, since there was no red wave... We are forced to then say, 
You know, it's always the economy, stupid, right? Wasn't that from the Clinton days? It's the economy, the most important thing. Well, here our economy is in a shambles. Inflation's at 40-year high over and over and over, month after month. People can't afford gasoline. Uh, heating season is coming up. Ga diesel fuel or whatever, uh, the heating fuel, is going to be 6 $7 a gallon. So you need, uh, what, five, 600 gallons throughout the winter. Are people going to have $3,500? To, to spend on heating fuel when normally it costs them a thousand for the season. You know, where's the outrage about this? Where do, why didn't people come out and vote in their best interests? Right, and that's what I had said all along. Think about what's in your best interest of you and your family, and vote that way. And people didn't. They came out and they voted uh, party line. Now, a big thing that's coming out that we're hearing is that in these exit polls, they're saying that abortion. Uh, was a was really a huge factor for a lot of people. Well, I think we have to face that. We have to look at that. Um, you know, the idea of saving babies, innocent babies, I think is the moral thing to do, the moral and appropriate thing to do. Um, but there's also the other side of the argument, people who don't have religion or morals and want to say, hey, if they want to kill a baby, they can kill a baby. And I don't mean they're not moral people. They don't have morals. I mean, it's not, it's not, when they pit the two against each other, should I be able to terminate my pregnancy or um, should I be prevented from doing so? They, they, they don't see the value in the life, right? They see more value in their choice. And I've always said that, that is a, that's a legitimate uh, point of view. Uh, not everyone is religious. Not everyone sees things from that point of view uh, that that's the right thing to do. So I think there's an argument on both sides. And I think the argument in many places uh, was settled, that many people came out and said, I don't care about crime, I don't care about inflation, I don't care about my, my family not being able to afford anything, I need to be able to, uh, to uh, abort my baby if I choose I want to do that. That that seemed to have a lot more uh, power uh, than we thought it would, you know, it seemed to have died down, got quiet, you know, people were more worried about the border and this and that, and apparently they're not, apparently they're not that worried about it. So it looks like, at this time, open borders, uh, anyone just coming in and getting benefits here in America, um, being given the status as American citizens, which is next. That's, that'll be up uh, you know, the next time around. Um, looks like that's what America voted for. I mean, it's as simple as that. The American people, their voices have been heard. And that's my question. Is America over now, even though the Republicans may take the House? Is America over as, as it was, as it once was? Is it now this new America that our traditions and, all, and everything, everything's out the window? All that stuff's gone, and uh, we're now going to create this new America, um, this more progressive America, because that's really, that's really what was on the ballot, right? Traditional conservative America or progressive liberal America. Uh, socialist America. And the fact that it was not overwhelming in favor of a conservative retake of the government and straightening out of all the things that are going on, uh, since that didn't happen. When the people were given a chance, it didn't happen. Uh, now we look at Florida. Florida is a bastion of freedom and liberty and, and all American things, but it seems to be the only place um, left in the country, doesn't it? So that's my question today. Is America done? Is the old America uh, 
Now done. We see that uh, if this wasn't the clearest choice for people to make, uh, and they made it. You know, the fact that the fact that we, we, we inched out a couple of extra seats in the House to take control of the House, how long is that going to be? Till the next election? Because apparently 40-year high inflation, that's not a problem. It's not a big deal. Um, not being able to afford food and heating oil and gasoline, that's, that's not a problem. Having wide open borders where anybody can just pour over, come in, and get benefits, that's not a problem. Um, that that's, I, I'm not saying I'm dumbfounded. I'm very clear on it. Uh, I've I've said all along. How many times have I said here on chasing justice? When an election takes place, the will of the people is what will get you. You get the government you deserve, and this is the government that we have uh, we have elected. We have chosen um, Biden, uh, as addled as he apparently seems to be, as as caught up in dementia as he seems to be. Um, he's. When it comes to presidents, they usually lose in their first term. They lose lots of seats. They may even lose the House and this and that. Uh, and his first term, true to form, he's probably going to lose the House, but he's not going to lose the Senate. Um, it'll be 50-50, and he'll still have the vice president's vote, so they can control that, which means they will have 51 votes for uh, Supreme Court justices. If any of these uh, justices step down, die, retire, whatever, uh, he will have... 51 votes to vote for his uh, his nominee, which could change the balance of the court and the power of the court and which way the court goes. Uh, so my concern is this, with only a few Republicans uh, holding the uh, House of Representatives, and even though they'll have the committees and all that, you can't count on uh, a lot of these Republicans, these rhino Republicans, uh, that will vote with the Democrats. I, I'm, I can't wait to hear it because I'm predicting we're going to hear it. Whereas the Democrats would just shut us out. They all vote as a block. No one disagrees. In the House of Representatives, I know Manchin and Cinema held out on a couple of things, but eventually they gave in, didn't they? They got everything they wanted. It just took a little more time. But in the House of Representatives, I could see a bunch of these rhino Republicans. We have to reach out across the aisle and work with our Democrat partners to make sure. And we're going to give them the bill that they want. And there's six of us will vote for it. And I can see them betraying uh, all the conservatives in the country again. Because uh, conservatism, while it is, in my opinion, a better way to go than progressivism, seems to be waning. I think the truth of the matter is we are following the destiny of humanity. So what is what is Lieutenant Joe said forever and ever and ever? It is it is the destiny, right? It is the default position of mankind to live under tyranny. And make no doubt about it. Our our friends on the left, the socialists, the progressives, that's where all that leads to. It leads to tyranny, uh, rule by the government, central power. It, it, every single time, that's that's where it goes. So we can see we are on that road now, even though we may have this this slight respite for two years. For two years, you know, there was a there's a moment when I said to myself, okay, well, if this red wave is going to come, because you know, people, their best interest obviously is not to uh, you know have have all this high high uh, inflation and have all this costs and everything be out of control. That, of course, the best thing to do would be to vote those people out of here, get this under control, make our own fuel, make our own uh, energy so that we can be independent and go back to $2 a gallon gas and the world could be affordable. I really thought that. I thought that's what people would vote for. 
but apparently, I was wrong. Uh, that is not what people see as important. So let's let's take that apart. You know, why would it be that people would not say, I want to be a rugged individualist and I want to be able to do the right thing, take care of my family, and I want prices down, I want to be a strong country, I want to uh, be solid. And, and why, why would people not choose traditional America? Have we, have we now tipped the balance where people had so much handed to them from government largesse uh, that gee, that's probably a better way to go. I don't have to work so hard. You know, I don't have to do so much. I get meager subsistence, but you know what? There's black market. I can do things uh, on the black market. I work off the table. I can make extra money here. Is that where we've gone now? Is that the generation uh, who has been handed the keys to the freedom vehicle uh, and they've decided to park it instead of driving it forward? You know, because sometimes when you drive in the snow or you drive in the rain, it's hard you have to do hard things, so maybe it's easier just to park the car and uh, and say, hey, uh, you know, I'll just I'll just sit here. Is that where we are? Are we now that progressive America that they want? Are we the Green New Deal? Has that now come to pass? Well, let's let's look at the facts. Uh, we we didn't have a red wave, which means, and I could say it over and over again, that people did not vote in their best interest, in my opinion. They voted for ancillary other things. So President Biden was asked right after the election, well, now that you've seen the, the you know half the country really wanted to go another way, your poll numbers are really down low, blah, blah, blah. And I'm paraphrasing, but this was the, the essence of the question. You know, what do you think you'll do different going forward uh, to, to answer to, to the concerns people have? And he said, nothing. I'm not going to change anything. We can do exactly what we're continuing to do. So if the guy in charge who's given us this high inflation, high gasoline prices, high food costs, uh, this nonsense of these lockdowns and all of this stuff that we had to go through, if he says he's not going to change a thing, what do you think they're going to do when they, when they get back in power again, when they have all the power again? Because they will eventually, right? Everybody goes, it goes back and forth. But right now, I think we're on that progressive slide which I'm, that I'm trying to figure out. You know, the exit polls, when people came out and said that the abortion was really that important to them, okay, I get it. Um, now, the fact that the Supreme Court decision that sent it back to the states, I thought that's the right one. Because if you live in a state uh, like Florida and the majority of people in Florida don't want to have abortions, then they should be able to vote for that. If every other state, all 49 other states, wanted to vote that abortion is legal, well, then they should vote for that. It, it's a home rule kind of a thing. And that's why I thought it was the right Supreme Court decision, that the community makes those decisions, right? Bring, it, bring those kind of things back home. But apparently, there are, there are more people who believe that that was more important than your financial and uh, national national uh, concerns. So let's look at that. Why would that be? Now, talking to Mrs. Lieutenant Joe, we're sitting there discussing it, and the reality is there's an absence of religion in our country. Uh, now, there's still a lot of religious people out there, no doubt about it, uh, people of faith. There's lots and lots of them out there. But the reality is it's not a guiding force in our country anymore. And some people would say, good, 
because, uh, you know, there is no such thing as this, this God that you're all talking about all the time. And therefore, uh, by living our lives based on uh, some 2,000-year-old book uh, about a myth uh, is really not the way we should go. We should be more progressive. We should be pay more attention to reality. And reality says we should do what's in best interest of us while we're here because there is no afterlife. And that's what it comes down to, right? If there's no religion, if there's no real religion, if there's no God, then you should make the best out of the time you have here and do whatever the hell you want to do. There is no right or wrong then, right? There is no right or wrong. So I think that is one of the big factors that has led uh, to this. We, we went from a time when the idea of an abortion uh, was was unheard of it's not it was just not something that people even considered unless it was an absolute emergency to save the mother's life and she would usually really be against it but she had to do it she would die right to the point that where it is today people want to give birth to their child and then think about it for five or ten minutes and then maybe kill the child do you realize how how far along that road uh we have come as a nation that that's that's the guiding thing that just led to this election, if you're to believe uh, some of the, the pundits and the people that are analyzing what goes on there. So if that's the case, and, and we look at it and we say religion has been removed slowly and steadily from our lives, religion gives us moral underpinnings. Religion, uh, in most of the major religions, gives us the guidance as to what is moral and what is correct, and how we should interact with each other, how we should respect things like life and death. And we've seen that those things have, have really unraveled uh, in, the, in the last 75 years. We saw all these movements to, to change the order of things, uh, and a lot of things for the better. You know, I, I will always say that. There is, there's lots of good changes that were made that we had to get away from. Some things were bad that were part of the, the order of life uh, that we had up to that point. But the reality is some things we shouldn't have changed. And I see the, the diminution of religion in everyday life uh, it has led to where we are now. Now, People can say that that's very constricting, that religion is constricting and smothering and tells people what to do. Well, why would we need people to tell us what's right and wrong? Why would we need to have some kind of belief system? Because if not, we would just run wild and live in chaos and, oh, exactly what we're seeing take place in front of us without any religious underpinning. Now, I'm not one that says we should be a religious state. I don't believe that at all. Um, I, just, I just lament the fact that because religion has disappeared uh, from the forefront of our lives as people, and I'm a man of faith, so therefore I have that concern uh, because I have those beliefs. I think a belief in God, and, and I really believe there is a God, uh, and I believe that he does watch over us and gives us free will, so we can make choices and do the right thing and live a good life. Now, am I stupid to believe that? Am I naive to believe that? Some people would say, yeah, of course you are. You know, I've had some examples in my life where I've actually felt the real presence of God, which is what bolstered my faith as a young person. I had these examples um, of this that I couldn't, I couldn't think away, I couldn't rationalize away. The only thing it could have been 
was a, uh, a supernatural God experience that I had. And I said, okay, um, I might not understand it. I might not see it, but I certainly felt it at two extremely, uh, extremely amazing incidents. And I guess it's not fair to go through it without, without telling you what those incidents are. You know, as a young person, uh, my family, we were close. I had mom, dad, and my brother. And we had, we had a nice life. You know, my father was an electrician, went to work every day, tried to work really hard, set a good example for us, started his own business, moved us to the shore from the city so we'd have a better life. And we were just normal, regular people. Um, we went to church on Christmas and Easter uh, and not much other than that. Although, you know, we did, uh, we did go on those times and we, were, we treated them as though they were important. We always thought that Christmas was Jesus's birthday, right? We all thought that. Uh, but we didn't go every single week. Uh, my parents were not every single week churchgoers. Uh, at some point, um, I had told you that my father passed away at 37 from a massive heart attack. Probably around the, when he was 35 or so, uh, he started to feel symptoms, right, of this. It was misdiagnosed or undiagnosed or whatever that he was having these heart conditions. But he started reading the Bible, right? I, I would come in and see him sitting in his room reading the Bible, and I said, what are, what are you reading the Bible for? Said, I'm trying to understand why I'm here and why you're here, why we're all here and what it all means. And I'm trying to get a better understanding. So I'm reading the Bible, trying to understand that. And that, that affected me as a 12, 12 year old kid. I said, wow, if my father believes that, then, you know, maybe there's something to it. Um, but like I said, we didn't go to church every Sunday. We didn't, we didn't do that. Um, and on the day that my father passed away, we were hunting. Uh, I was 14 years old and we were in, uh, in the mountains in North Jersey. Yes, there are mountains, beautiful mountains in North Jersey. And we were up there hunting and my father had a massive heart attack right in front of me. Uh, I ended up uh, doing CPR on him with my uncle for uh, you know about uh, half an hour before we finally called it off and realized, unfortunately, it was nothing we could do. He was gone, um, and that was that was very stressful on me. As you imagine, as a 14-year-old kid who never really saw death that close, and and here was my beloved father, and I loved him very much. Well, I ended up going down the mountain. Uh, to wait for the first aid people to bring him down because it was a big mountain. It was really high up. A lot of people had to go up and try and get him down. Well, while I was down there, I was, I was cursing God. I was cursing the world. How could this happen to me? My poor mother, my brother, my father to die. It's not fair. And I was going on and I was filled with rage and anger. And just as the sun was coming up over the mountains, as I was sitting there as a little kid crying against this tree uh, and, and cursing, you know, God for doing this to my family, I felt like a bucket of warm water just poured over me. Now, it was freezing cold. It was December in New Jersey, in the mountains, and this it, it, it felt like this warm bucket of water poured over me, and I had such a feeling of peace and calm, and I heard, not so much in words, but I heard it in my head, everything will be okay. Take care of your mother. Now, I didn't think that came from my father. I felt at that moment that that was God coming to me and calming me. And it changed me for the rest of my life, and it built my faith. When we come back in a minute, I will tell you the second time I had an experience where I know it was God. This is Lieutenant Joe for Chasing Justice. We'll be right back. 
Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. All right. Welcome back. So, you know, I know uh, telling that story um, at the end of that first segment, and I, and I wanted to keep in the time frame here of, of our program, but that really did make a difference. I mean, I was just a dopey kid, and I wasn't a religious kid. Uh, I went to church because that's what you did at Christmas and Easter, you know, and I guess the two years previous to my father's death of him him talking about the Bible and reading it, because I'm sure the guy was having heart heart uh, symptoms where he didn't feel good. The doctor, he was going to doctors, and you know, uh, I'm sure he started to think, "Hey, what what if I die? What you know, is there something to this?" So he was trying he was trying to figure it out. But that impressed me that if my dad would try to figure it out, maybe maybe there's something more to it. And then when this happened, um, when he passed, and I and I'm telling you, standing there, cursing. Uh, in a fit of rage and anger and sadness and grief that this would happen to me. And then to feel that presence, that calming presence come over me, that moment, it changed my life. It changed me. I didn't ask for it. I wasn't seeking it. I was angry and sad. And I was overwhelmed with this feeling of peace. And I heard that in my in the inner voice, everything will be okay. Take care of your mother. And that made me a person of faith from that moment on. Now, I didn't immediately start going to church, but I started to pray once in a while because I believed I heard that voice and I felt that voice was God and I felt the calm 
to get me through that 14 year old kid going through that right so and that's how i knew it had to be something so perspective and time over course of life as i as i grew and i looked back at that when i was 15 and 16 and 18 and 20 i started to realize that was a real thing that wasn't a, a grief moment i didn't I, I wasn't anticipating that and that happened to me so that's how i know it's real the second thing that happened to me was was Many years later, I'm trying to think of how old I was, but when Kathleen and I got married uh, and we started having children, um, she was she was very um, very intent on saying, "Listen, we really should go to church every week because we we did have uh, you know we talked about religion. It, it was a part of our lives, but again, we weren't big churchgoers." And and I credit Kathleen with saying, "Listen, if you look at the statistics, they tell you if the father in the family goes to church." and sees it as important. The children will see it as important and they will they will become people of faith. And I said, well, I think that's important. And you know what? We should start going to church. I agree. And then we started going to church every Sunday. Now, Joe is 36 years old. So 36 years ago, we started going to church every Sunday. And uh, except for a handful of times in 36 years, we haven't missed going to church. And I always get something out of it. I always find something in the homily or in the readings or something that has something to do with my life, something I'm thinking about, going through, experiencing, whatever, and then there's an answer there. So I'm trying to think, how, how old were the kids? We, we used to walk to church. It wasn't far from our house, so we would walk over to the church, and I think Marisa Joy was with us and Jack, so it had to be later. I'm going to say 15 years ago. 15 years ago, I'm sitting in Mass. And I'm sitting there, you know, I'm listening to the priest and the homily and, you know, all the ritual that goes on in the church. Uh, the Catholic Church has a lot of ritual. You stand up, you sit down, you kneel, you stand up, you sit down. You know, it's all, it's all important parts of the worship ceremony, you know. And as they're getting to the part where the priest is um, calling the Lord down to the, to, the, uh, to the bread and wine to be the body and blood of Jesus, right? In the Catholic Church, that's what they really believe. This is what we think. This, this does transform into the body and blood of Jesus. That's why we do communion. You know, you're in communion with God, and you take the body and blood, and, and that's what it is. Well, as I'm watching, I'm listening to the priest, all of a sudden, I start to see the people in the church, um, and it was full church, all, all of a sudden, I saw more people and more people and more people. And before you know it, I was sitting there amazed that it appeared almost like the walls of the church disappeared and there were hundreds of thousands of people that I could see. And I, kept, and I was looking around going, wait a minute, I'm sitting in a pew here and how am I seeing this? And they were all looking in one direction. And I'm looking at that. I remember saying, what was everybody looking at? And I turned and I looked, and there's the priest holding up the host in the body of Jesus. And I was just amazed what I was seeing. And then when I looked back, all, the, all those extra people were gone. It was just everybody sitting there. And I was just amazed. I didn't know what to think about that. I don't hallucinate. I don't take drugs. I wasn't drunk. I just had this experience. And... We left the church and I was silent because I was trying to decipher this. What, what had I just seen? What had I just experienced? And we're walking home and Kathleen says, what's up with you? And I said, I, I think I just saw something. I, I, she says, what are you talking about? You saw something. And I told her. And she says, and when was it? And I told her, she goes, yeah, that's the moment 
that the priest asked Jesus to, to come to, to, to our midst, to be there with us. And I said, and that's what all those people were looking at. And that was an amazing thing. And since that time, I've, I've thought about this over and over and over again. And I try and say, did I really see that? Was I imagining that? Was I distracted? Was I falling asleep? What was it? And I can only say that that experience, exactly like the experience when my father died, were two of the most real connections to a world bigger than our world that I can say. And, that, and it has it, it restored my faith yet again that there is something else. I don't know what else there is, but I do believe that there is a loving God, whatever form God takes once, once he's there, but I do believe it's there. And I found that amazing. So when we look at this, I find faith has helped me to, uh, you know, to do the right thing because I'm just a regular person and I'm tempted like everybody else and I want to do the wrong thing sometimes. I want to do this. I want to do that. I should do it. And I say, no, it's not right. It's not the right thing to do. Do the right thing. Do the right thing, um, you know. And this is a long way of saying that this is what I'm saying I think is missing when we take faith out of our lives uh, all those times I was tempted to do the wrong thing, I might have done them if I had no religion, if I had nothing to, to draw me back, no faith to tell me that that was wrong, that I should do the right thing because there's a bigger picture to this world than just me. So I, I'll connect that. My last thought on, on the religion here, um, you've heard me talk before when I say one of the other things that really... Uh, connected me to all of this was when I started to have an understanding of the size and the scope of the universe. Because I like astronomy. I like the stars, planets, moons, all that. I just am fascinated by it. And with the James Webb uh, telescope and the Hubble telescope, we can actually see millions of years back in time. We can see these to realize that there are hundreds of billions of galaxies that could be teeming with life. And I do believe they are teeming with life. I think life is, is everywhere out there in the universe. Uh, maybe not like us completely, but maybe more advanced, less advanced animals, creatures, amoebas. I think that's, that the whole panoply of what could be out there is out there. It is just so far apart, so far, so far away that we could never get to it. Um, which is a whole other story uh, about the, the UFOs. We'll get to that another time. But when I started to understand how big this universe was. And I started to see that it is, is, it cannot be simply chance or accident that the universe exists, right? I know there are people that believe that. It's just the chance random chemicals. And what have I said every time who's been listening for a long time here? Well, where did the chemicals come from? Where did the rock come from? Where did the gas come from? Where did the actual space, the empty space that is endless in this universe where did that come from, right? It didn't just happen. The fact that we are here alive and can even contemplate that tells you what an, an amazing miracle life is. And it didn't just happen out of nothing, right? So when I started to realize that and I put together the, the experiences that I had that informed me that there is something more and I see this universe, the size of it, the scope of what's out there, I said, there is only one answer, and that is there must be a greater being, a God that created all this. This is, this is engineered. This is not uh, happenstance. It's too perfect. 
the human body is too perfect. The, the stars and the systems are too perfect to just be happenstance, right? The love that you feel when you look at a little child, a little baby, uh, and you can feel that connection to your child, and, and it's so deep that you would die for that child. That love, that feeling, is the connection to faith that is God, and that is what has been imbued in us as human creatures. So the, when that's missing in a personal life, you can do crazy wild things that you never would have done because you had nothing to, to bring you back. Well, a society, I believe, is the exact same way. When our society does not have uh, religion, uh, then we're willing to do things that we ordinarily would never do, like kill a baby that's been born and lay it on a table, an innocent little baby, because, you know, I decide I really don't want to be a family person. I want to be a mother, you know, so uh, yeah, put the baby down as though it was nothing. We, and when our society has arrived at that point, there's something truly wrong with our society. And that's what I'm going to chalk it up to is the lack of religion, the dissipation of a religion in our lives. It's been removed from our classrooms. It's been removed from our daily lives. You can't put up a Christmas tree. People fight you and this and that. And I say, you know what? If somebody wants to put up uh, some other thing at the town square, let them do it when it's their holiday. Everybody should be able to share in that. And this is where I think we've gone wrong. And I think the the evidence for these, this connection to the removal of religion and God from our everyday lives is in the crime that we see running rampant in the street. I see the uh, evil that people perpetrate on one another. Um, I see the lawlessness, uh, the depravity that people perpetrate on other people, human trafficking, uh, exploitation of children and women. All of this is is a is a godless uh, place and I think it made me ask the question this last election I thought would be uh, the majority of us going nope we're not doing we're not going there we're going back we're turning back to a better place and we didn't we didn't turn back to that better place we have chosen to continue on that road so that's my question to you is America as we always knew it is it over and done now? Is it? I would like to hope that it isn't, but I think the evidence in front of me tells me it probably is. Uh, we have reached that point where going forward, uh, 10 years, 20 years from now, we will not recognize our country, um, our lifestyles as the uh, America that we've always known. You know, for those of us who were born uh, at the tail end of this, who, who as young adults saw um, the Reagan era and patriotism revived in our country and um, all of that, I, I think I think we're gonna we're gonna be the ones who miss it. But our time on this planet is limited, right? We're coming to the end. Uh, you know, it's one of those things when you know you have less time, less road in front of you than behind you. You start to look at these things, and that's that's kind of where I guess I'm at. I mean, I, I just turned 60 years old this year. I still feel like I'm 18, but I just turned 60. But I realize I don't have 60 years in front of me, and that went pretty fast. The first 60 went pretty fast, and I don't have 60 years in front of me. I'm not going to be 120. Uh, I'm probably not going to be 100. I'll be lucky if I'm 75 or 80. That would be a really big thing, which means I only got 20 years left if I'm lucky and I stay healthy. So you start to see that and go, 
who's going to take over after us? Well, people who have lived in the new America. Uh, they're going to go with those tenets and those traditions and those beliefs, and they're going to go forward without religion. It is going to continue to fail and fall apart. Now, I, I, I'm putting a lot of emphasis on that because I think it's important. And our churches have failed us. Um, our churches have failed us. Our religious people, there are lots of good ones, lots of good priests and nuns and, and lay people that are in the churches and, and are you know uh, good rabbis and imams. And, and, and I think there's very good people out there trying to do the right thing. But their numbers are dwindling. You go look at any church right now. You have churches are closing because people aren't coming anymore. Uh, churches are combining because they don't have enough priests because no one's going into the priesthood anymore. It's very, very few. They used to have a classes of, of, of 100 young men who wanted to be priests. Now they get classes of six or seven. You know, um, it it, It's a clear indicator of, of where this is going. So the kids in the future, children born today, uh, as they go forward, 20, 30, 40 years from now, they will not know the America that we knew. And that is sad, and that is upsetting. Um, and I'd like to say it could be better. It could be a better world. Maybe, maybe it's a better world in the future. But I have a feeling that without the things that brought us to where we are, it's not going to be better. It's going to be more like what we're seeing right now. More like we're seeing right now with um, chaos and self-indulgence and all of the negativity that we see all around us. Uh, I think that's what happens. Right, so I think I made my point there. Um, and I hope I gave you something to think about. Uh, and, and how do we turn that around? Well, that would be, the th all right, Lieutenant Joe, well, let's agree that that is the problem. How do we turn it around? I don't know. You know, you can, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. Um, you can live your life um, properly as an example to others. You can teach your children what's important to you. But look what we have to fight. You teach your kids certain things at home and then they go to school and the schools, in some cases, not all, some cases, want to teach them things that are completely uh, different than your beliefs. They want to teach them things that you might not find correct that school says is correct and, and this is how we're going to go. You know, I was just in a school district in New York and uh, I was walking through the building in the morning, and it was morning announcements. And these were little kids. These were, you know, uh, fourth and fifth graders. And they stop, and they said, okay, we're going to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And everybody said the Pledge of Allegiance. Then they had a moment of silence, which disappeared how many years ago? You, because that's religious. You can't have a moment of silence. But this school did it, and it was a public school. Uh, and then they sang the national anthem. And all the kids in the classroom were singing. It was it was an amazing experience um, to be a part of that, to, to, to see that happen, because I know it's been removed, all right? Um, so, so there's bastions of it out there. There's bastions of it out there, but these kids, unless we, we reinforce that as adults, as a society, decide to do that. But here's where the problem is. And I, I know I sound pessimistic today, and I'm really sorry. I'm not being pessimistic. I'm trying to evaluate... Uh, and conduct an analysis that's clear and correct uh, so that I can make decisions going forward. I can think things clearly. Um, and I think this has been removed enough to the point that we can say it's a different world going forward. There's no doubt about it. And this election, I think, is the 
is the, uh, the period at the end of the sentence. That's the period at the end of the sentence because this was one of the biggest elections that we should have had that should have returned us uh, to our traditional roots, that should have turned us back towards uh, God and family and faith and, and, and country, and it didn't. And now I think that is the, the indicator of where we're going, going forward. Uh, I think we will go more progressive. So I looked up a, uh, a quote. Let me see if I can find this quote um, the other day because I think you'll probably, uh, many of you will, rec will recognize it. Here it is. Let me see. Um, uh, Soviet leader um, Nikita Khrushchev uh, on November 18, 1956, stood at a podium and was banging a shoe. And he basically said, we will bury you. And what he was talking about was communism overcoming uh, Western democracy and our Republic America. We will bury you. And Lincoln once said at a time when our country was fighting internally over uh, ending slavery, and it was, it was hotly contested. That's why we had a civil war. And Lincoln said, a house divided cannot stand. This was wisdom of the ages and a prediction from someone who, who in, a, in a communist country, understood um, that it's the default position of humanity to live under tyranny. And that's why they were able to succeed, and that's why we see that. And I think those two quotes go, go together. Our country, are we divided? We are divided. We are completely divided. Um, there's, there's no middle ground. There's no talking. And uh, a house divided cannot stand. And I've said that how many episodes in a row now I'm talking about, you know, the reality of, of where does this go? Is this sustainable? No. One side or the other has to win out. And again, this election seemed to be um, an indicator that the decision has been made, that there's enough uh, impetus now going forward to be more progressive than to be more traditional conservative. Now, I hope I'm wrong. I hope by the next election, People have really wallowed in this socialist quagmire of high prices and things are crazy and ridiculous uh, to the point that maybe maybe they do vote the right way and they vote more. And I mean to the right. Maybe they vote to the right and like the Reagan revolution, pull us out of that, uh, that malaise that was going on. I hope so. I pray for that, uh, that people will come to their senses and see that. Um, doesn't mean we can't take ideas from everybody and, and try and do some things. Like I said, some progressive ideas are good ideas. Let's work on them. Uh, but we have to have a solid, secure, uh, non-chaotic lifestyle in order to raise families and to have things work out to our best interest. If we don't have that, uh, the chaos of progressivism will destroy us. Uh, and that's how great nations have been destroyed for time, time immemorial. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. So this election asked, had me ask those questions. Is America done, traditional America done, and are we now the progressive uh, future America that uh, many of us fought to have take over? Well, let's look at some other things. Um, Lee Zeldin in New York put up a good fight. Um, here people are complaining about the city of New York that they can't go to the city of New York because it's dangerous. Uh, there's crime everywhere. And here was an opportunity for the people of the state of New York to vote 
to bring someone in who was law and order, who would clean it up, and they voted the opposite way. So the crime doesn't really matter. What's going to happen to the city? Is it going to get better if we continue these policies of letting criminals run wild? Is that going to make the city safe? At some point, all the criminals are going to say, hey, they stopped locking us up. They stopped putting us away, so we should stop doing crime. Do we really think, is that what's going to happen? Of course that's not what's going to happen. It's going to get worse and worse, and you're going to see, uh, when will New York City come back? When will you, for those of us in the tri-state area, when will you get your family in a car and go to New York City for dinner again? Anybody? Right? I love the tree lighting. I love the holiday season in New York City. It's so beautiful. I'm not going there so my family gets robbed on the way or uh, somebody uh, does something ridiculous to us. I'm not taking my family into that city. And I know there's millions of people who feel the same way. Now, when you watch it on TV, you'll see lots of people there because people will still go because it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But the reality is the city is suffering. The city is suffering. People are afraid to go there. Like, all, like many big cities, crime is out of control. And we just voted uh, to not address that. Um, Governor Hochul, she won. And she's now going to run the state. And she's going to continue uh, no bail, uh, removing bail. Like Chicago just signed a law. Basically, no more bail for anything. Uh, you know, unless, of course, it's political. If they come after you politically, you're staying in jail. Other than that, um, they basically, you're going to see city after city continue to do this. And you have to ask yourself, is that good? Is the crime, the homelessness, the mental uh, patients running wild all over the city, shoving people on subways, stabbing people randomly, cold cocking old men and women in the back of the head because that's fun, uh, mass robbing stores and cleaning things out, uh, murdering people left and right, um, is that going to get better over time by just letting it continue, or is it going to get worse? Well, clearly, obviously, if you're a thinking person, it's going to get worse. But people just voted for that. The people of New York just voted to continue that. We're okay with it. It's okay. No problem. Keep it going. That's better than the other way. They had that choice when it came to uh, Eric Adams or uh, uh, in, the, in the mayoral election. Right? Eric Adams, former police officer, this, that, but people who knew knew that he, he was not um, uh, tough on crime. He was not going to be a, a great mayor of the city. He wasn't going to save the city, uh, those who unpaid attention. But, of course, New York is a very liberal Democrat place, and they voted for the Democrat. Um, and, you know, they could have voted for Curtis Sliwa. Oh, he's a joke. Actually, he runs a worldwide organization, uh, and he's a law and order guy. He would have brought in smart law and order people. And they would have cracked down on crime. Well, Lee Zeldin would have cracked down on crime. But the people of New York had every right to vote for what they voted for. And what they voted for was status quo. Just like President Biden, when asked, said, what are you going to do to change going forward? And he said, nothing. He's going to change nothing. He's going to continue on this path. Well, New York and other big cities that have, have chosen to go progressive are going to continue on the path that they're on. And what path is that? Is it a good path? Is it a path that means prosperity and safety and a wonderful life? Or is it going to continue to, uh, to go downhill? I think you have to be honest with that and say it's going to continue to go downhill, as opposed to Florida. Now, look what Florida just did. Florida 
uh, just went all red, all conservative. They kept their schools open. They gave parents their rights back to decide. The community decides what the schools are going to teach. Uh, law and order uh, is kept uh, in the forefront. Uh, it's a safe place. Do the wrong thing. You get locked up. You go to jail. Uh, Florida has decided to move to the right, and it's it's a beautiful example of of how to run a state. Uh, DeSantis, I think, is an, an amazing young man. Uh, I think he has a huge future. Uh, so, you know, President Trump uh, is considering running again, but I think the tides have probably turned against him, uh, not because of, of what he did. I thought he was a very good president. His policies were great. His personality was a little caustic, but his, per- his policies were great. So we have to ask ourselves, has his time come and gone? Can he now be the elder statesman of the party and do the right thing and launch uh, launch us into the future uh, by supporting someone like a DeSantis. Uh, would, is that the best thing that Donald Trump could do now and say, hey, listen, I started the movement. Make America great again. I started it. I pushed it in the right direction. Um, and Ron DeSantis is the heir to that. And he is the next person that should be doing that. You know, Trump said, make America great again. And I think the saying out there should be, uh, make America like Florida because uh, I really like uh, Mr. DeSantis, and it was an amazing red wave in Florida. And the people there have voted for freedom, liberty, and progressivism is in the backseat there in Florida, and people seem to really like it. So here we come to the end of this episode, my friends. Um, Lots to think about here. I'll consider all these things I thought about, and when we meet again, we'll talk about it. Have a great day. Talk to you later.